0: I'm going to change it just a little bit this morning. We all know, and we're experiencing a little bit more, that Advent is weird. It's weird for us. Uh, The colors change, and they change to purple. Even as we we deck the halls with greenery and anticipation of the coming season, we go to purple. We go to purple first. The songs change, but it's not yet joy to the world. It's the minor keys. It's O Come, O Come, O Come. Emmanuel, Advent is filled with excited anticipation for what is to come. In other words, for a season, for a season of gift giving and feasting and resting and all those things that we are anticipating. Are you looking forward to it? I am. I am. What is to come is right before our face, but I want to shift our attention ever so slightly this morning and you might, you might think and you might have this echoing in your ears, um, maybe from your childhood. I have it every, every year about this time of year. Jesus is the reason for the season, okay? Jesus is the reason for season. So rather than asking the question what or when, we're going to ask the question who? Who? Who is to come? Not a season, but a person. So I want to reflect not on what is to come, but who? That's the question. Who is to come? So many of you in this room know Toby. Toby is my dog, my dog. Five minutes after meeting Toby, you have pretty much come to know everything there is to know about Toby. And everyone who knows Toby knows what I'm talking about. Now, turning the corner to something pretty similar to Toby, many of you know me. Many of you know me. Now, my wife, Jody, has known me for 22 years, and some of you have known me for like six years. That's, that's quite a long time. It's more than five minutes of knowing Toby. You've had many conversations with me, many shared experiences, years of gathering to worship and to pray with one another in our homes and here in this place, many years of joys and sorrows. But even if you're like Jody and you've had 22 years of that experience, I think we all understand that for Jody or anyone else to say that they know me, that Jody knows me, is a different kind of statement than saying she knows our dog, knows Toby. In other words, uh, people are much deeper than dogs. They're, they're a mystery. They're confounding. We can have a lifetime Of deep conversations with a person with a person with someone and still say at the end of the day I don't really know them and I think we all know this experience I don't I don't even really know them now turn your imagination to one more person imagine that you're meeting someone of a much higher rank than you are we don't talk about rank a lot in our culture uh, but I'm going to give a few examples to kind of show that we still have rank. We still have rank in our culture. Maybe it's the president. Maybe it's a bishop. Maybe it's Taylor Swift. Maybe it's Taylor Swift. Now, imagine that you were given one hour, one hour to have a private conversation with whoever that person is in your mind. Who, who is that person of a higher rank than you are? Maybe it's a Maybe it's someone who, an athlete or something like that. Now, with another person on your same level, someone you imagine to be on the same level with, you might imagine a free exchange of ideas. In other words, you might both have an equal parts question and answer, but with someone who is so far above you, you, you wouldn't feel any right. You wouldn't feel the right to pry, to ask a question, to ask a question of them at whatever level they choose in that conversation to open themselves up to you, you would be happy. I mean, I I think many of us have experienced uh, meeting someone that we never thought we'd ever meet. And if they're a, a normal kind of person, if they're a humble kind of person or else they have some kind of like revelation about themselves even if it's very simple you immediately are endeared to them some of us can tell stories of meeting famous people like this maybe you've met sam smith i don't know maybe you have felt that experience a world-renowned author and you're pleasantly surprised that he's just a normal humble guy like you are i remember the first time i met sam that's another story <laughs> that's not in my manuscript sorry about that sam sam always gets into my manuscript um Every time, every time though, here, here, here's, the, here's the reality about this knowing others. Every time we experience someone else's self-disclosure, they open themselves up to us. When we hear about their life and their story, it, it, it maps onto our story. We hear it and we hear it in relation to our own life. It overlaps. We get to know them just a little bit better. Better, But in that conversation, we're even get, getting to know ourselves just a little bit better. We're a little less lost in the world when we know others. And we, we are known by them. So this experience of knowing someone but never really fully knowing someone, a human person, this is, I would argue, and the church has argued since the beginning, this is what we're made for. This is what we're made for, but not primarily people. People are a reflection of that reality. We are made to be known by God, to be known by Him, so He he knows the ins and outs of our lives, and to know Him. He discloses Himself to us, and like Taylor Swift or Sam Smith, that person that is so high above us, we imagine they're They're so untouchable, and we hope that they would choose to open up their life to me. And when they do, we go, wow, that was really cool. What a privilege. What a privilege. And hopefully, as you grow up a little bit, as you grow older and older, you come to find that knowing any person feels like that. Any person whether we highly esteem them or not, the most unfamous person that you'll ever meet to know them and to be known by them. Wow. It's such a privilege. So Advent isn't primarily about waiting for what is to come. That's not what I want to focus on. We've done that in other years. Advent is about anticipating who. Who is to come. Sitting Resting in that in-between space of beginning to know someone, of beginning the conversation. Maybe even after years of knowing them and still and still having this deep longing to know them and for them to know you, to get to know them more completely. This is Advent. So for the Christian, we begin our year with Advent because we have this something that has been disclosed to us that we grasp that we know and this is primarily god's self-disclosure to us we know god and he knows me and in the very same breath we say in advent i barely know him at all i've I've been i've been having conversations with him i've been reading and hearing his self-disclosure for years and i feel like i barely have just begun to scratch the surface of knowing him, I'm waiting I'm still waiting for him to be revealed more fully in my life. He's so high above me. He's infinitely higher above me than Taylor Swift is to Chris Bora. He is so high above me, and yet, surprise of all surprises, he comes all the way down to you and to me to tell you all about himself. This is what he's doing. In the gospel, and he shares his deepest longings with you and for you, he tells wild stories and you laugh together until you cry and you cry until you laugh. You get to know him and it makes you come alive. Even as you know him more, you start to know yourself. And then even even my life that might be in shambles at the moment feels just a little bit more secure in his presence. This is what we are coming to realize in Advent. To know God and to be known by Him is complete joy. It's complete joy. So how how to begin this process? How how do we begin to know our Lord God in the face of Jesus Christ? Where do we start? I I began with a prayer from St. Augustine's Confessions. And he has another sort of question or petition thinking about this knowing God. He's asking the question, where do I start? Where do I start? And he says this, grant me. He's making his petition to the Lord. Grant me, O Lord, to know which is the soul's first movement to you. So he has two things in mind. What is the first thing I should do to come to you? To know you. My first, my first movement from myself to you. Which one? And here's the options for Augustine. Whether my soul must know you before it can implore you. So, do I need to know you, God, before I can ask something of you? That's the first one. It would seem clear that no one can call upon you without knowing you. So, if you don't know him, how can you call upon him? If you don't have a, at least a passing acquaintance with him, who are you talking to? That's what he's saying. It would seem clear that no one can call upon you without knowing you. For if he did, he might invoke another than you. Someone else who is a God of your own imagination, Augustine says, who they know you not. So do I need to know God first or do I need to address him first? This is the choice for Augustine. So he's in this place of tension and he says this, yet, yet, may it be that a man must implore you before he can know you. It must be that a man can come boldly before you, to implore you, to question you, to ask of you, even before he can know you. So this is sort of the tension. You can feel Augustine's apprehension and he phrases this as a question, may it be that a man must implore you before he can know you? May, it, may that be? As if, as if in hope, it feels like Augustine's apprehension or else maybe you're like a fan backstage meeting a famous person for the first time. I don't know them. I don't know them at all, but maybe I don't have the right. I don't have the right to go ask them a question or else to implore them. Yet, yet may it be, may it be, that I can, or else I must implore you before I can know you. God has made it clear. This This is the foundation of reality. God has made it clear in Christ Jesus that His desire is to be known. This is what we are beginning to enter into every day, every season, every year, every week you have permission to implore implore God. He says, "You you have permission to implore me. Though you don't really fully know me, I want you to know everything about me, so come. So Advent reminds us to come and to seek and to stay awake, to know God. And at the same time, Advent reminds us that we must cry out for God to come to us, to come to us, because I don't have the strength to come, myself, to come to him. Advent invites us all to cry out to God, because however hard I try, however however hard I seek, I never feel like I find him. I never get there. I see through a glass dimly, if I see anything at all, yet, yet, you, God, invite me to seek you, and you promise that if I seek you, I'll find you. Advent is an invitation to stay awake for God has made Himself known to us. We're invited with tired eyes to stay awake, to get to know God a little bit more as we wait for His return. To really pursue knowing Him, knowing that we'll never know Him completely. And if that's okay with my relationship with my wife and those I know the best and they know me the best, it's certainly okay with God. Our gospel lesson this morning from Mark chapter 13 is all about knowing. It's all about knowing in one sense. You could say that maybe of every gospel text. The early church fathers spent a lot of time On the question and for really good reason of what it means that Jesus or the son, the son of man in this text says that he doesn't know the hour. He doesn't know the hour of his coming again, but even even as you read the fathers, they're not primarily concerned with the when question why or why not Jesus can answer this when question or even What are all the signs that the when question is about shows that the when question is about to be answered? It's not what or when they're concerned primarily about what the gospel writer Mark is saying about who Jesus is who he is in himself. Who is Jesus? What does this question And our answer to this question from the gospel reveal about the Father. What does this text say about the Son? When and what are fine questions, but Mark invites us to consider who. And teaser, I'm not going to answer that fully today. Because even if I started to scratch the surface, there would be so many more layers to unpack. But the invitation is still clear. The Son of Man will come in power and glory. And Mark invites us to consider not primarily the time of His coming, but that the Son is coming. That Jesus, the Son of Man, is coming. He will be seen clearly and revealed so fully according to Mark. And He will be so unmistakably known as if to shine so brightly It will be as if the sun has no brightness at all. And the moon and the stars will shine, but they will be so incomparably dim to this revelation of himself. He will be so bright, so clearly known, that you don't even see the sun and the moon and the stars. This is the invitation. When you see these things, when the Son of Man is so incomparably bright, You know, Mark says, and Jesus says of himself, you know that he, he is near. He is near at the very gates. And so Jesus invites us, and Mark, the gospel writer, invites us to imagine the most unshakable reality that we can think of. And we can think of a lot of things maybe, but heaven and earth, these unshakable realities Something that will never pass away. And now, imagine something that passes away almost immediately, like a spoken word, like a a sermon that you just heard, and then you walk out the door and you've forgotten it immediately. John says, and Jesus says, my words will not pass away. The, The most passing reality, even my speech will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away but not my words. It's a self-disclosure. It's about who is Jesus. So Mark invites us right now in this season of waiting, in this season of knowing a little bit, but not knowing fully, of knowing a little bit more, but even as you know more, realizing there's so much more to know about the person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit Don't worry about when or what. Consider the Master. It's about Him. Stay awake and remember Him. You know Him and He knows you. He's called you into His house to serve in His house, in His light, in His light. And as you see Him, you see everything. This is the invitation. Again, St. Augustine, commenting on these verses says this, it was not part of Jesus' office as our master that through him the day should be known to us. That was, he's not trying to tell us about the day. It was not for our good to know everything which was known to him who came to teach us. He surely did not come to teach us that which was not good for us to know. He came to reveal himself. As master, he both taught some things and left other things untaught. He knew both how to teach us and what was good for us to know and not to teach us and what was not for our good to know. In other words, he came not to teach a bunch of doctrines, but to reveal himself, to reveal himself. So Jesus came to give us knowledge, not of all things or else all mysteries. He came to reveal God. And that's what we're here to remember to know him, not to know theology about him. So, this Advent, I invite you, whether you are young or old, whether you are young in the faith or old in the faith, those who have only just begun to begin the conversation with this dear friend, or maybe someone who's had this conversation for 22 years, don't worry about all the what's and the whins and all the all those kinds of questions, concern yourself with who is right in front of your face. Who is God? What is the Father purposed? And how is the Son accomplishing this purpose? And how is the Spirit manifesting this in the world? God has made Himself known. Come. The highest has condescended to the lowest to tell us about Himself. And we will never come to the end of knowing him. You will never come to the end of knowing him. And that's exactly what we should expect. You will die. And in Christ, you will be with him. And you will never come to the end of knowing him. This is good. This is good news. What an honor it is to know him or even to begin to know him. What a privilege. What a privilege. This is what we remember. Hosea 6, 6. For I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This is the Gospel. John 17. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So this is the invitation of the Gospel. And it is my Advent invitation for all of us to to know God just a little bit more. To ask good questions to implore God to give us answers and not only for my sake so that I can pass a test or else be a know-it-all or something like this so that I can share this knowing over and over again so that I can teach so that I can pass it down to others and with others know God in conversation together and make him known this is what we are invited to do this Advent season I uh I'm going to say a lot more about catechism over the next month and certainly over the next year. Um, but the writer of the Anglican Church in North America's catechism, or else the primary editor of our catechism, was J.I. Packer. So if, if you guys don't know J.I. Packer, he is a, he, he was, I mean, he has died and he's gone to be with the Lord recently. Um, but he wrote a book a long time ago. It just had its 50-year anniversary this year called Knowing God. It's a fantastic book about what it means to know God. It's such a good book. Um, so this, this is the guy who, who oversaw writing of the Anglican Church in North America's catechism. Okay, this guy, at the beginning, this is one of my favorite things about this book. At the beginning of knowing God, he quotes another pastor, not an Anglican. It's a pastor by the name of uh, Charles Spurgeon. Many of you guys might know this great Baptist preacher. But the thing that's really interesting about this quotation is that J.I. Packer, this super wise and knowledgeable Anglican priest and theologian and professor, he quotes Charles Spurgeon when Charles Spurgeon was 20 years old. 20 years old. And he follows Spurgeon's admonition. So even as we think about teaching our faith and knowing God and having more knowledge of him, the young can teach us. Those who have just begun in the faith can, can literally change the way we see God. And so I'm going to quote a long quote for you. This was at the beginning of a sermon uh, from Charles Spurgeon over 100 years ago, and he he begins his sermon like this, and this is how we'll close. Spurgeon says, It has been said by someone, it's been said by someone, that the proper study of mankind is man. The proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. Is God Of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The highest science, Spurgeon said, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the intention of the child of God is the name. It's the name and the nature and the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. There is nothing, Spurgeon says, exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. There's nothing more than this. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity. It's so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. Other subjects we can compass And grapple with. We can contain them in our heads. And then we feel a kind of self-content. And go our way with the thought. Behold I am wise. With every other subject. But when we come to this master. This master science. Finding that our plumb line cannot sound its depth. And that our eagle eye cannot see its height. No subject of contemplation. Will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands the mind. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified. And the knowledge of the Godhead and the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of God. And while you are humbling and expanding, this subject is eminently consoling. Oh, there. There is, in contemplating Christ, a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quiet for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is a basalm for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go Plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing, I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of God. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.